The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's my privilege to introduce this morning Pastor David Nutting. Pastor David Nutting is from Iowa and did his undergraduate work at the University of Illinois. We have our Illinois connection in common. He is a member of the South Coast Presbytery, of which I am a member and a man of such discretion that I tried to get him nominated for a moderator recently, but he refused for other, uh, he had other duties that prohibited that. He has uh, uh, a master's degree in music and uh, originally served the church in music. He's been a pastor for many years now at our North City Presbyterian Church, which is just down the road uh, in Poway. And he's, uh, his wife, uh, Priscilla, and he have three children. They've been married for 25 years. We invite him and look forward to receiving the word of God at his mouth this morning. Welcome. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. It's uh, always a privilege to be able to take a few moments and come and be here at the seminary again. The Lord has uh, granted me uh, the opportunity to be uh, able to study here when I was a younger man. Uh, not too much younger, but a little bit younger. I graduated in 2003 from Westminster, California, and am a product of the the fact that you can do your internship sometimes at a local church and they might call you to be the pastor. And uh, that happened with me. I was a student here from 2000 to 2003 and I served as an intern at North City Presbyterian Church in Poway. Went away and then I got a phone call one day and they said, would you be interested in candidating to come back uh, to North City? So here I am and I've been the pastor there for 13 years and I'm glad to be able to come and bring you all the word. It's a privilege every now and then to come here to the chapel services. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to uh, turn there with me to Mark 2 verses 18 to 22. And I understand we have to be done at 1030. Is that correct, Dr. Telfer? Roughly. And 1050? (laughs) Because I could talk a lot. (laughs) I won't do that to you all, though. Mark 2, verses 18 to 22. This is God's word. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. 
Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that in these few moments together as we open your word that you would show us the glory, the majesty of our Lord Jesus. That's our hope today is to meet him and to see him in all of his glory. So we pray for our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been to some great weddings in my life. My own wedding is the top of the list, of course. If my wife were here, she would emphasize that. It was uh, probably the best wedding that I've ever been to, for certain. It was a great day. I married my best friend, and we feasted, and we had a grand party together. I've also uh, been able to officiate a lot of weddings over the years, and some of them have been great parties in wonderful places, mansions in La Jolla and the Ritz-Carlton and Dana Point and these great places that are just gorgeous settings. Uh, Perhaps one of the greatest feasts that I ever had at a wedding was actually the the wedding of one of our former interns, seminary student here who has graduated and is now a pastor. Uh, I got to officiate his wedding. And uh, his bride's grandfather owns this historic place, if you know anything about Los Angeles, it's called Stan's Donuts. And Stan is this great, crusty old Jewish guy that's just a wonderful chap. He's uh, created in the 1960s this donut shop that has stood the test of time. I've never even heard of a donut with bacon on it until I saw this man. and Or donuts with peanut butter in them. Go figure. And we feasted that day. There was this wonderful opportunity for us after the ceremony to, to feast. And I, I want to ask you just to picture something in your imagination for a moment. You go to a wedding like that where the feast is laid out. It's grand. Uh, there was an omelet bar. It was great. We all got in line and we ate. But you go to a wedding like that. Can you imagine that moment when the bride and the groom, you know, often they're announced when they come in to that scene at the reception. And at And as they come in, they come into this group of people that are all somber and long-faced. And they go to raise a glass and encourage the crowd to do so. And the crowd says, I'm sorry. We, we, we can't. Today's a fast day. It's a, it's a day when we have to abstain. But you enjoy the party. And everyone in the room says, I'm sorry. We can't, we can't celebrate with you. You can imagine how the bride and groom would feel like they missed it. Like, did we schedule this on the wrong day? No one wants to feast with us. The wedding is the day for a party, not a funeral. And they've missed the point. Something like that is the picture that we have here in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus is at this feast, and these people come who don't understand him. And they, they don't understand the type of man that he is yet. And they have questions about him and confusion and even indignation at his choices. And here in this moment, there's something deeper actually than just fasting that's at stake. They're abstaining from food for religious purposes. It's more than just that. It's all really more deeply about a relationship. How do we relate to Jesus? and to his coming in the first place. And so, for us, as we look at this for just a few moments, I hope that we'll see something that challenges us and encourages us as this scene is set where Jesus is feasting with his friends and people come and they miss something crucial in their pursuits 
of religious ideas, they miss Jesus. He's right in front of them. The reason for feasting, and they miss it. And is it possible that we might have the same problem? And so today, just see this and see the feast that is offered at the pre- at, in the presence of Jesus. So let's look today at just two questions. What does it mean to feast in Jesus' presence? And uh, what does it mean to fast when he's taken away? Let's think about each of those for just a moment. Because I hope today that you see that Jesus offers you a feast in his presence. So there's a problem. The disciples of John were uh, seeking to fulfill Orthodox traditions of Judaism. And the Pharisees, they were fasting as well. And... Those disciples of John and the Pharisees were practicing that, and they're in the midst of this gathering. And uh, in that gathering, uh, there was a, a reason for their being together. If you look back up in chapter 2 earlier, uh, Jesus had just called Levi. He went out, G- Levi was at the tax booth, and Jesus says, come, follow me. And they're gathered at Levi's house, it would appear. But people notice at this gathering that not only the Pharisees, but John's disciples were uh, participating, and they may not have agreed on much, but they agreed on this. They were both fasting. And so they asked Jesus, why aren't you participating in these things? Uh, there were really, a, there was really only one major fast prescribed in the Old Testament. It attached to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. And there were certainly other days that you can look at. You can see the the Feast of Purim uh, had a fast attached to it. There were some things in Zechariah that seemed to talk about fasts as a possibility. But the Pharisees had added to this practice so that there was a regular fast two days a week. You remember in the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee who stood before God and and boasted of his righteousness, and he said, I fast twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays were their fast days. And so they come and they see Jesus in this gathering, and it must have been a Monday, or maybe it was a Thursday. And maybe they're trying to trap Jesus, but also perhaps trying to understand And so they say, why, Jesus? Anyone who seeks to be devout, engaged in these regular religious duties, according to the tradition of the elders. So what are you saying, Jesus? You and your disciples don't seem to fit the mold of a godly man. At least the outward markers that we would say seem to fit. Certainly for the Pharisees, Pharisees fasting was this external. They painted their faces so they looked shocked. They left their clothes untidy. They would leave their hair a mess. They tried to look like they were fasting. Mourning, a sign of outward devotion, and certainly fasting had that attached to it. There was a sign of of repentance, perhaps, of seeking God, of dependence on God. And where in the midst of this is Jesus? He's not looking unkempt at all. In fact, he has food and drink all around him. And all of his friends, his disciples, are all around him sharing in that food and drink. And where are they? They're at a party. And so in come these religious leaders. And it would appear by the text, the ESV that I read, it says, 
that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, I think it's most likely, the NAS says that they, it's most likely that it's the Pharisees who have come and asked Jesus. And they, in the midst of this moment where Levi is probably throwing a party in Jesus' honor, they come on one of their fast days and say, why aren't you participating? Can you imagine how that could ruin a party? You're in the midst of this grand celebration, and you have these people come in the room and say, why are you eating? Can you imagine? Now, of course, if you go back up earlier in chapter 2, it says that in the midst of this gathering, you look earlier, they asked the question of, the, of Jesus and the disciples. They say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the crowd that is around him. Levi's had all his friends over. He, he eats, and you can maybe hear the emphasis on the word eat. Why does he eat on a fast day with tax collectors and sinners? He's eating it all, let alone with these people. And so, they're full of confusion and perhaps wrath. And keep in mind now that Jesus, in his earthly ministry early on, fasted for 40 days. So it's not that Jesus is saying, no more fasting. They don't know much about Jesus yet. Uh, but he's, he's instructed his disciples about prayer and fasting. And so the early church followed his lead and fasted and, and prayed at times in the book of Acts. So why is Jesus defying all these religious leaders who believe they know what it means to be truly devoted? It's not just about fasting. It's about how we relate to Jesus. Now, Jesus' answer is brilliant. He could have simply appealed to the law of God and said, Brothers, Leviticus 16 is the one place where it says we must fast. Do you realize what you've added to the law of God by your traditions? He could have said that, right? And ended the argument. But his answer is stunning and it points beyond a command to engage in some religious activity to the reason that it exists in the first place. And he answers essentially by saying this, fasting makes no sense right now. It makes no sense. Why? Because now that Jesus has come, now that I have come, now is the time to feast. Now Jesus describes it in three different ways with three different illustrations. Think about each of them just briefly. He says this in verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So imagine the wedding scenario. Again, Jesus comes back to that moment. The groom is getting ready. The groomsmen are like the disciples. They're the friends who are celebrating the upcoming wedding. Should I say bachelor party? That has a bad connotation. All the good parts of the party. But imagine these men showing up for the party and they say, hey, we'll be with you, but when we go out to eat, we're just going to have water. And Jesus says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It would be inappropriate because the wedding is the occasion for feasting, for celebration. To not eat would be a sign of sorrow and mourning. And that makes no sense because Jesus is here. The bridegroom is with them. And it would be like saying, though he's standing next to us, it would be like saying, he's gone. And then he points to two other illustrations that actually get at the same reality. 
The first one has to do with clothing. Verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the past tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And then again, he says, new wine. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. So he points to things that are not compatible. First, clothing. When I grew up, and my jeans got holes, which happened all the time, my mom would put a patch on them. We don't do that anymore. We just buy new jeans now. But Jesus says, if you take a piece of this cloth, an unshrunk cloth, onto an old garment, then when it washes, it tears the the cloth, and all of it's ruined. They're incompatible. Likewise, when a winemaker makes new wine, If he puts that new wine into an old, hard, leather wineskin, eventually, as the fermentation process continues, it expands. And as it expands, soft, supple leather will expand with it. But an old wineskin will crack and break. So in answer to their question, why don't you fast, Jesus says, first, fasting makes no sense. They were standing at that party, while Jesus and his disciples were drinking and celebrating and enjoying themselves, and they say, Jesus, you don't engage in this act of feasting. We don't understand. And the point, he says, is to to fast makes no sense right now because I'm here. It would be like putting new wine in this old wineskin that doesn't work. It would be like putting this new cloth on an old garment that would ruin it both. Jesus had come, and there is no place For mourning, the two are incompatible. That's what he's trying to get at with all of the illustrations. Jesus has come. There is no place among us as believers for a long-faced, mournful response to Jesus coming, not even for a Presbyterian. I can say that because I'm a Presbyterian. But he shows the incompatible nature of their views. Jesus' new cloth is like this this grace and forgiveness for radical sinners like you and me. And it cannot be harmonized with a religion that is mere tradition. Traditions can be good if they have biblical foundation. But that's not what this was. There's no room. Jesus' new cloth of grace and forgiveness cannot be harmonized with a religion of mere outward duty that says you just need to strive and do and try harder and maybe God will accept you. Jesus' new wine of his new covenant cannot be poured into the old wineskins of empty formalism, legalism. No man-made religion can fit. It has always come up short. If you strive and work hard, even if you make up new rules, maybe God will let the scales tip in your favor so you could be accepted by God. If you could keep the law of God and then add some traditions, then maybe you could earn heaven. But Jesus came to destroy this man-made religion. Now, you might be thinking as we hear that, well, I agree. I agree that, that those empty traditions are incompatible with the gospel of grace and forgiveness that Jesus was going to come and earn. And I'm glad not to live in that because of the glory of God's grace. But is it possible, is it possible that in our pursuit 
of theological precision, of biblical fidelity in our place of study that we can labor so hard to put all of our ducks in a row and miss Jesus. The call to feast in his presence. When all of our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. You see, there are many things to get right. And we study here. But is it possible for us in the midst of that study with godly professors who love Jesus and teach faithfully, is it possible for us to engage in those exercises and miss the fellowship that Jesus calls us to? I will never forget the first week I was a student when I hadn't even thought about that. And Dr. Kim, Julius Kim, was, I think it was his first semester as a professor, was my first semester as a student. And he explained what happened when he was a student. And he said to me, my time at Westminster Seminary during my studies was one of the most difficult and dry spiritually that I had ever experienced. Not because of what I was being taught or because of the people who were teaching it, because of the temptation that I had to take all that I was learning and make it not translate from the head to the heart. And he warned me and he said, be, beware, be careful to engage in that work in a devotional way, to engage the hearts. Now, there's one more, more thing that you see that we can't miss in this as we finish. And this is brief, but take a look at what happens when Jesus explains this to them. And he says, the, the, the wedding feast takes place. They cannot fast when the bridegroom is with them. In verse 19, he says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. You see, there is an appropriate day to fast. For them, it was coming. It was the day when Jesus would be taken from them, taken away. And it's reminiscent of the prophecy in Isaiah 53 when it says, by judgment, oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was cut off. In other words, Jesus was alluding to a day when he would be taken away, arrested, carried away by wicked men, sentenced to death, tried, convicted, nailed to a cross. And Jesus says, that will be a day of mourning, a day of fasting. He says in John 16, you will weep and lament in that day. The world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. So there is a day, he says, that will be coming when the bridegroom is taken away. And they would know that, that was, it was best for them to happen. They, that, that's needful for them. It would be the true means to eternal feasting. So today, even though Jesus' sacrifice has been accomplished and his spirit has been given, and so we do have reason for feasting, now, because we have God's Spirit in us. But isn't it true that there's also an appropriate sense of mourning and longing and repentance and desire for God that is not yet fulfilled because we are not in that perfect state where we will feast with Him forever? So we live now in this era. On the one hand, there will be occasions to feast, but there's also there's that which has not yet come to pass for us. So as we think about this passage... Yes, there are times for feasting, times for fasting, but it's an encouragement to see the Savior who is before us and press in to know Him, to seek Him in these days. Sometimes through feasting 
and sometimes through fasting as we wait and long for the day when we'll see him forever. So as you seek God here in your studies and all the labors that God has given you, may you seek Jesus to feast and occasionally fast in his presence as you wait. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that as we see the Savior here before us in these words, we thank you that the bridegroom has come and we have great hope because of that. Father, guard us. Guard us from missing him as we pursue things that are good and perhaps even right for us as we study, as we labor for your kingdom. Help us, though, not to miss the opportunity to feast in the presence of Jesus. And we pray as we wait that there will be seasons where we feel the longing, the aching, whether it's through literally fasting or through seeking you in repentance and hope as we wait for the day when we will sit in your presence at your table. We, look, we long for that day. Bring it quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.